Hey guys, this is Gabby Douglas. If you have an active lifestyle like me, hydration is key. That's why I love the hydration watermelon smoothie from Smoothie King. Blended with whole fruits, coconut water, and more electrolytes than some of the leading sports drinks. Hydration Watermelon is the cleaner way to hydrate with no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. So you can recover and perform at your peak ability during the summer heat. Order online or through the app for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. You can get a free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth and uh, take a look at not just the audiobooks that you're probably familiar with, but all the other content that they have uh, for you to listen to. I think you will be pleasantly surprised. Over the years, the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast has gained recognition as a great resource for uh, small business owners, sales professionals, business leaders, and uh, that is because of the guests. These are folks who have expertise in a particular area of business, and they join me to have a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Today is no different. My guest today is Kate Kearney. Kate is an experienced business consultant, lawyer, and strategic advisor. She scales business, uh, she helps scale businesses so companies can grow revenues and reach profitability. She takes a founder-centric approach to performance, focusing on leadership, talent strategies, and organizational design. Kate believes alignment of these critical areas results in a culture that supports sustainable growth. She has over 15 years of legal experience working with corporations, hedge funds, and startups. Thanks so much for joining me today, Kate. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. Well, I am thrilled to have you here. We're going to be talking today about uh, founders transition, excuse me, transitioning to the role of CEO. And um, it sort of sounds obvious that founders would do that, but um, they struggle with that kind of thing. Why is that? I think initially it's this mindset of being able to go from it's my baby 
to it the business, right? You start off in founder mode and you know the market, you know the product or service, you know your customer, you had this idea, it was your blood, sweat and tears and all of a sudden you kind of have to step back and say it's not about me, the um, achievement and success of the business are not necessarily mine, it's a business and it has its own life and it has its own people and as you grow team, etc. And so it's this mindset shift that I think founders struggle to make. And maybe because many of them are execution type people and they're not this manager leader type of person. And that takes, you know, a transition in skills as well. Oh, see, yeah, that's interesting. It is, um, it's tough to remove that emotion from, you know, being founder, owner to, uh, having to make unemotional decisions as a CEO. Exactly. I mean, if you think about uh, companies having to pivot right now, you're the founder and you have this idea and you've been working on it for five years and it's really is your baby and it's what you're attached to. Maybe you have to pivot and completely go in a different direction and you have to let go of what that idea may have been. Hopefully it's just an iteration of it, but you have to let go if that's what's best for the business. Maybe not exactly what you want to be doing or where your energy and passion exactly sits. Yeah, boy. Okay. So, and, and a lot of founders um, go through burnout when they're actually trying to scale their business. What, um, I guess I'm curious about like what leads to that and what they could be doing differently. Well, I think, you know, to, to just put a framework around this scaling and moving into a CEO, yes, when you're a founder, everything is within your domain and you're wearing many hats and you're working very hard. And as you transition to CEO, the role changes and the problems become more complex and the team is growing and you become a manager. And there are a lot of ways how the role changes, which we can certainly chat about. In terms of burnout, I think that founders get stuck in the weeds because they have a hard time letting go, right? As you grow your team, you have to be able to delegate. It's one of the most important things that you can do is give up some control and trust that you hired the right people and um, empower them. And so you've got to be able to delegate. And I think for founders, giving up that you know, initial bit of control or any amount of control is very hard to do. I also think we have this mentality that the media certainly fuels that you know, to be a successful founder, you have to work 24 hours a day. That's, that's just the game. Everybody who's been successful does it. And that's the only way to go about it. And, you know, even as I built my own business, I felt like, well, any free time I had, I should be working on the business. Why, why wouldn't I? Um, you know, what else was I doing? And there's always something more you can be doing. And so, you know, I got caught up in that mentality as well. And I think it's easy to, and the media certainly plays into that, you know, the great stories of sacrifice and dedication and all of these things when it's not true. And um, so I think we have to change the story a little bit and the mindset a bit. But I also think it's giving up control and delegating to people that you've hired. 
is a big piece. And that is so hard. I've had business owners say to me, um, well, I would hire a salesperson, but they won't do it like I do. And my response <laughs> is, right, who cares if they do it like you do, as long as they're, you know, they're, they're not breaking any laws and they're bringing in business. Right. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's uh, I guess, a vulnerability that they can't get past. Absolutely. And as you, you know, as you slide into this role as CEO, you know, for me, it becomes about, you know, it's your culture. It's hiring and developing your managers. It's encouraging collaboration. It's strategic. It's serving as the connection point with all your stakeholders. These are big jobs and yeah. they take an enormous an array of skill sets to be able to perform them all. And so I think that as a starting point, founders need to be able to say and look really hard in the mirror and say, this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm not good at. And this is what I wanna do and this is what I don't wanna do. And put those together and be able to fill in their skills gap. And I think, you know, it is important to ask yourself as well, what do you want to do? I mean, I had a, yeah. a client that had a patent for pending for years, got the patent approved. The market right now with uh, COVID was an opportunity to scale quickly and got some funding. And she knew, she said, first thing, I don't want to be CEO. I don't want to lead and manage teams. I, I just want to be in the weeds. I want to execute. And so, you know, whether somebody can't let go of the title and hires a COO or um, they are willing to give it up and they say, hey, I'm a, I'm a tech person. I'm a marketing guru. I'm a sales whiz, to your point. Then maybe that's the role you want. But where you're not strong, this comes into how you start to build your team out and filling those skills gaps so that you can focus on these bigger issues and responsibilities that a CEO should have and do. Right, right. And someone's gotta do them. And if you're in the weeds, you don't have the energy or the brain power to really, you know, solve problems and, and be that connector person you were talking about. Exactly, so, and a lot of things that, you know, my role in some ways when I'm working with founders is to help them see those risks and opportunities on the horizon. And I think yeah. that's one way that, you know, differentiates me where the legal background comes in here, you know, it's handy. It, it's an ability to help see those risks and opportunities down the road and how certain issues may play out uh, in the short and long term, which is very helpful. Yes, for sure. And really difficult for someone who's in the middle of it to really be able to see. Like they don't see the why. So right. it, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk some about that role yeah. um, of CEO. Um, it, it, because one of the things that I heard you say was like, if someone, if a founder said, I just want to be doing X, they would have to hire a CEO or a COO, someone to do, you know, handle those responsibilities. So right. what are they? So I think some of the ones I mentioned, right, it's very strategic um, mm -hmm. in terms of, which is really, you know, you have your vision, but what is the strategy and the path to get there? Um, 
both in a short term, whether that's six months to a year, three to five years, 10 years past, how are you getting to your vision? Um, it is also, you know, paying attention to the risks and opportunities on the horizon. It is worrying about your culture and building out a very strong and healthy culture that will encourage and support your team as they perform and execute. It is being the person that encourages that collaboration as part of that culture because we know collaboration leads to more innovation and better problem solving and you know more perspectives in the room more dialogue challenging one another that's really important and so you want to be encouraging that collaboration and then it is the biggest part of being a ceo is leading and managing teams right at the end of the day your strategy is as good as your strategy is your idea can be amazing and fabulous but if you can't execute, it's really worth nothing. And I think that's why VC firms say, yes, they look at market opportunity, but right at the top of the list is the team, the founder and whoever is on that initial founding team, because you're only as valuable as your ability to execute on what that strategy is. And so I think the most important thing you can do is how you engage your team and how you manage and lead your team is your greatest um, value add that you can have as a CEO. Yeah, so it's not it's not doing the work. It's not micromanaging. It's building a, a really good, solid team yes. around. Yeah, huh. I say that you know for my when I talk about leading and managing teams, I say it's about you know three words to keep in mind at everyone's top of their mind. Right? It's empower. I think that's one of the strongest ways you can engage your team. It's coach them and it's listen to them, right? And so empowering is the most important way you can engage your team. And um, you want to build this trust. You want to say, hey, I have, you know, I did the whole hiring process right, which is its own bucket and challenge. But let's say we've gotten to the point where you should be able to say, I hired the right people with the right skill sets and I trust them to do the work. Now you give them the objectives, right? You've taken your strategy, you've broken it down into objectives, whether that's gross sales from, you know, 500,000 to a million or whatever it is. And you've hired for that experience. And now you put some metrics in place so that you can track, you know, 90, 120 a year of progress for your team. And certainly if they hit those metrics, you should reward them. It doesn't have to be money. It can be a shout out in a team meeting. Public recognition goes a long way. It could be a gift card. It could be, um, most important, I think it could be an opportunity to work on a project that they've shown interest in. And um, millennials have said that personal professional development is more important to them than money. And so giving them opportunities to stretch themselves and take on new skills is reward enough. Um, and so, you know, I think those are ways you show that you empower and then you've just trust that they can do their job. They know what the objectives are, they know what the metrics are. How they get the work done should really be up to them. Be creative, that's what you want them 
build efficiencies, let them figure out how to do the tasks in a way that makes sense. And I think we're seeing that now with work from home, you know, work can get done in different ways. It, you know, you care about the result. And I think we have to sort of start thinking differently about how we um, look at employee productivity, but um, right. It's how people get things done differently. As long as it gets done efficiently and, um, you know, they're hitting their targets, exceeding their targets because you've empowered them, you've, which motivates them, they're committed, then I think, you know, that's their job, not yours. Right. Right. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it's such a tricky thing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It sounds a lot easier than done. Um, it does, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think that's why, you know, founders generally hire senior people too late. Um, I think it's giving up the control is one. I think the fear of it being a costly mistake if it doesn't go right, which it can be, both in time, energy, and money. Um, and that's definitely not only skill sets, but that's for everybody, such a important culture fit question is key to hiring. But there's this fear that they're gonna get it wrong and they hesitate and you know, they wait a while. Right, right, too long, yeah. And then they're scrambling, yeah. Yes, which leads to horrible hiring decisions, which drives me bonkers, but <laughs> I guess that it's, I guess that it's chicken and egg. I mean, I really do, right? Yeah. You need certain people, but if you don't have the money to pay them, yeah. it is. It's chicken and egg. And, you know, that's hard to manage. But I do think thinking ahead, here's mm -hmm. my strategy, here's the people I would need in place with these skill sets over these timeline, or when I hit these metrics, I will look to hire, and then start the conversations early with candidates. I mean, maybe it's frustrating to candidates, but you want to start a dialogue with people with those expertise so you can go back to them. Waiting until you're in the midst of all hell breaking loose and you need a marketing person, you know, you're going to rush to whoever the first few candidates are and yeah. likely they're not going to be a culture fit. And then one bad apple just sours the whole bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so hang on to that thought because I'm going to take a sponsor break and then I want you to talk about how to go about hiring the right people. So hang on. Sure. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. And I'm sure that you are aware that Audible.com has thousands of audiobook titles that you can choose from and listen to, but you may not know that they also have podcasts and Audible Originals, and Guided Meditations, and more. And the cool thing is you can get all of that uh, audio content in one place, so you don't have to log into different platforms and stop one and go to another. You, you can, it's like um, one-stop shopping. So we are uh, offering a trial, a free trial. If you go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you can get a free trial and then you can explore all the content on your own. I like the guided meditations, uh, but that boy, there is just so much there to explore and check out and you know figure out what really resonates with you. So sign up for the trial, check it out, see what you think. 
Today, we're speaking with Kate Carney about transitioning from founder to CEO. Okay, Kate, before the break, we were talking about how um, founders don't make the hiring decision quickly enough and, and whatnot, and so then not, then not necessarily um, well when it comes to matching candidates with the culture. So how does a founder or CEO hire the right people? Sure. So I start at the top and I start with strategy. And I think we, you know, everyone can break those down into strategic objectives that they want to hit that are in line with the ultimate long-term strategy of the business. And certainly that's something you should spend time on, you know, get input from advisors on and make sure you feel really solid in what those objectives are. But once you know what they are, um, I think it's a few things. I think to my earlier example, if it is scaling sales from 500,000 to a million or doubling the size of your sales team geographically or whatever it is, um, what skill sets do you need and experience do you need for that role? and be very specific and be able to say, you know, in the next 90, 120, one year, this is the expectation for the role. The clearer you can be, the clearer you can put out into um, the market, the better candidates you can um, attract and you can sort through them. Um, so I think being really clear on the experience is important, I think, also, there's two things that happen, as I sort of mentioned, you know, hiring senior people can be scary. And so there is this sort of trending to less experience sometimes, I think, in startups for a while before, um, before they fill in the gaps at a senior level. Um, and then the opposite happens, right? They're scaling so fast and they think they need somebody with so much experience and have done it and they hire someone who's done it in a big corporation and successfully and they overpay for somebody who really hasn't done it in a startup um, arena and you know is taking a salary that they just can't afford anyway so i think being conscious of what you want in that experience and what it looks like is key um right now um you know up until this point we had very tight talent markets, right? And so it's very hard to attract quality candidates. Yeah. Now with work from home, you've got, you know, you take away some of the geographic limitations. Um, you give a little bit more in terms of freedom and how work gets done. So I think you open it up to another group of folks that maybe aren't the nine to five people. Um, and now you have a lot, unfortunately, laid off. And so the, the talent pool is large right now. And you are going to be sifting through um, a lot of resumes. And so I do say start early because you want to be able to get the best candidates out of that pool. You also will go by referrals from you know, people in your network and your employees' networks, which is fine. I just caution, again, you know, that can lead to less diversity necessarily if you stay in the traditional pockets that you know. And so it's important to think outside the box and in different areas to attract candidates. But once you're 
got the role and you've looked through and you've got the experience, the most important is the culture fit. Um, you know, as I said, one bad apple. And so, yeah. and that, that is true whether it's a team of five, which obviously has a huge impact, but also a, you know, team of 500. I heard a founder once say he thinks about it for every one he hires, he's going to end up with 10 more just like them. And so is that really what you want to multiply as your culture when you're hiring somebody? You know, if your gut's telling you this is off, well, check in with your gut about why you think this is off. You know, it could look great on paper, but something is telling you this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Um, and listen to it. But when you're, when you're doing the hiring, you know, what characteristics, traits do you want to look for in somebody? Maybe it's enthusiasm, maybe it's curiosity or um, great in gray areas, you know, very, very good with ambiguity, whatever it is, you know, be clear in your mind and then figure out questions that get to who the person is, how they react to situations, how they interact with other people. You know, my favorite is always, what's your superpower? Um, I've been asked it, I like to ask it, I think it's a good look at um, how you see yourself, right? Self-awareness is so important. Um, and then maybe things along the line of, you know, what didn't work in your last job and how did you fix it or couldn't fix it um, and try to get a sense of who they are. And that takes a bit of time. Um, that's as many conversations as possible. You know, somebody once told me she took uh, candidates to SoulCycle to see how they reacted. <laughs> I'm not sure if that works for all candidates, and maybe there's the lawyer in me feels like maybe there's some discrimination in there. But, <laughs> um, but it was not my client, so I, I didn't advise on the legal <laughs> ramifications. But, um, you know, I think that's an interesting way to see how they react in a social setting. But it's really important to get the culture. And again, by culture, I don't mean everybody's exactly the same, right? We want the diversity of perspectives. We want the diversity of experience, of opinion, of debate. And so, you know, culture is more about the person and how they act, you know, at its very base bottom, I describe culture as, you know, the way the work gets done. Um, and that can mean a lot of things, but it is the way your work gets done. And so that should be similar across the board in terms of the type of whether it's respectful, um, collegial, whatever it is, that's what you want. Um, honesty, whatever, whatever your values are. And so you got to kind of combine both of them to find the right hire. And again, that takes time. And so I do think it's okay to start dialogue with potential candidates for roles that you are thinking about early um, because it's important and it is a big decision and it's a costly decision. Um, and I think the other piece when you're, um, I see as a challenge when you're a smaller team, so this isn't so much the big scaling, which is some of my clients and then some are on the smaller side, but um, you know, when you started, everybody, it's a small team and everybody did a little bit of everything, right? You wore a lot of hats. It was you know, a group, you know, group decisions happened um, and everyone was kind of a generalist and you, that was, that's the value, right? 
I just read the book Range. I mean, there's, there's arguments for being a generalist. It's a great thing. But as you start to scale, you start to hire specific functions, right? And when you think about the organizational structure, you start slotting in these functional heads, which tend to be a bit more senior and obviously have the experience in that function. And so they tend to sit on top of some of the people that were in your initial group. Or I think founders just promote those people because they're loyal and they've been there and they have no experience in a certain area. And maybe you have time to let them learn it and figure out, but you may not. And that's a difficult discussion sometimes in terms of maybe that person just doesn't make sense to keep on. They're a phenomenal early stage generalist that's great at their role, but can't step into a new role. Um, and there are challenges with putting people on above them and putting that organizational structure in place. They feel displaced. They're less connected to the founder. That's where cultures can also have, you know, some tension. So it's really important to think about that. There's a lot of ways that this transition and formation can be a challenge as you grow out your team. Does it make sense? Are you a proponent of having other people on the team or within the company do participate in the interviewing? Yes, I think you should have not only, you know, executive management um, and anybody obviously in the department that either they'll report to or lead and manage. I think you should have conversations with those you're going to manage as well. Maybe a few of them if it's a big team. Um, cross department, I think functional teams, collaboration, project based is you know the way a lot of work gets done and should get done. So making sure you can talk to the product person, the salesperson, the marketing person, because your job will hit on all of those. Some piece of your job will hit on all different functions. And so I think, yes, I also think it helps um, kind of going back to that gut reaction. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, right? I think you, um, I recently wrote about intuition. I do think you have to listen to it um, and be aware and ask yourself why you have certain feelings. Then again, maybe you're overreacting to something that's just a trigger point to you. Maybe someone said something and it rubbed you the wrong way. And so, you know, it's kind of a, it's either a bias or it's something that's particular to you. I do think it's good to get a lot of input to see, are you the outlier or is everybody on the same page? It's a good way to check your own reactions and reads of people. And I think people read people differently. You know, people have different ways of interpreting body language, tone, words, data points. And so it's important to have as many views that make sense. You know, I don't think you have to put them through 15 people, but uh, maybe you do. I mean, if it's, a, if it's an extremely important role, then maybe that's what makes sense. I mean, do what you have to do to get the right person. Yeah, it feels to me like um, some of the value in that is that when founders um, don't necessarily ask the right questions or uh, hear what they want to hear, pretty much, don't, don't necessarily mm -hmm. dig, then you have people who are on the team who 
they want to make sure that whoever they're working with is, is going to work well with them. You know, it's going to pull their weight, is going to be a part of the team. And so I think they, you know, they, they look at it from a potentially different lens than the founder. Yes, I think you're spot on. I think that's right. Um, it's invaluable to get the input of others. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. It's almost um, feels sort of liberating to me to have other people be able to weigh in on what how, you know how they are impacted by whoever it is they're talking to. Absolutely, um, and it makes you feel a little more confident in your decision. If everybody yeah. that is working with you, or you know, ten people say this person's a go, you know, you as a founder who Again, you're giving up some piece or chunk of what you do and you you feel a little bit better you're like great I made an awesome decision I'm right on board you know I'm right on point right. and it makes you feel better about this decision and it's easier to pull the trigger and as you get bigger and you're scaling you know this gets a little bit more disconnected from the founder and so you do have to have enough people to weigh in to make sense um, you're, these are the people you're going to be working with um, every day, day to day. These are the people you're going to interact with. These are the people you have to delegate to. I mean, it's all about delegation um, to be able to scale your business. And um, so you got to be able to trust them. So you have to really feel good about the person. Right, right. And it's interesting, you just said something that, um, boy, was so obvious, but I did not pick up on it. And And it is that the bigger you, you know, the more you scale, the bigger you get, the less the founder is participating in those activities because they've delegated HR to someone who that's their skill set. Absolutely. Or, you know, you've got functional heads and then you've got business line managers and you've got teams within that. Well, they're not going to talk to the founder. And at that point, this is where it's super important that you're very um, strong in your culture. It's something that you talk about, that you practice in your daily communications as leadership and your actions, because you better hope your managers and your leaders throughout the organization embody that as well, so that they are making those decisions in line with the culture you want. It's one thing for you to, you know, set the tone at the top, which is key, but making sure that that's understood by uh, managers down the line yeah. is how you're gonna perpetuate your culture. And if you've got somebody who really doesn't understand it and isn't understanding what the business is all about as an organization and organism, then you know it's easy to go, go the wrong way. Right, 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 right. Boy, this is, this is uh, so interesting. I, I think there's so many people out there who um, this is what they want. You know, their goal is to scale, but they're hampered by them, <laughs> you know, and the decisions yeah. that they're making. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, they can't get out of their own way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And again, I get it. Um, yeah. That that control, that that empowering piece, you have to. Now I'm going to forget who said it. It's famous, but whoever said, um, you know, if you're an A, hire A pluses. I mean, there 
the very best leaders mm -hmm. surround themselves with people that are smarter than them. And right. a lot of that, when you're working on leadership pieces with founders, which is why it's very founder centric what I do, it is a question of competence. It is building that competence in yourself and your skill sets and what you bring to the table, which sometimes founders don't have, so uh -huh. that you can feel comfortable saying, I'm gonna put the smartest people in the room around me, and that's gonna elevate the whole organization. Um, and then, you know, all that delegation is a practice and a skill. Um, yeah. I just published today something on time management, and one of the things I didn't talk about in that one, but I have, is it's push down as much of the decisions as possible. That's kind of should be your goal. If somebody else can do it, then let them do it. And it may not be exactly how you would do it, or maybe you think not as well as you could do it. But is that really worth your time? How valuable is an hour of your time versus how long it's going to take you? And it may take somebody one hour to do it pretty well and five hours for you to do it extremely well. This is a business. I mean, there's a trade-off there. And yeah. I think people have to be able to make that trade-off and that's part of letting go. Yeah, yeah, right. You have to be able to trust others and, and be okay with them going through the learning process, doing things differently. Um, and, and sometimes good enough is good enough. And building that trust, you know, back to my you know, three words I attach myself to on CEOs, it's about listening to them. It's a two-way street. Yeah. And um, whether that's town halls or all hands meetings, um, suggestion boxes or virtual suggestion boxes, I guess, um, or, you know, a one-on-one -on -one with somebody down the line from you once a month, um, whatever it is, 360 reviews, I think are invaluable. Um, yeah. the, the founder of bar three, uh, I listened to her speak at a, at an event and she said, you know, we were growing exponentially. We were opening, um, studios everywhere. Everything was going great. And as we continued to grow, all of a sudden we plateaued and growth kind of stagnated, our performance wasn't as great, and she tried a few different things and nothing was making it better. And she did a 360 review and she says, the results that came back were extremely difficult to swallow. And the issues were all about her leadership style and how she was as a CEO. And yeah, I'm sure that's extremely difficult to hear, but it's an opportunity to grow it's an opportunity to, to know why you're not connecting with your employees. And she says she made a lot of different changes. She hired a coach and you know, the business went on to be successful and she opened more studios. And, but I think it's a good lesson in how important the 360 review can be because you may just not know. If, if there's a 70% of your team is saying the same thing that the negative quality or doesn't work for them, it's great because then you can work on it and change it. And it's just a behavior and a skill set. So um, I'd rather know that as somebody, that constructive criticism is extremely helpful. But I think no matter what, if you let people be heard and you ask the questions and you encourage them to speak up, they're going to trust you. That just, it builds that relationship. 
and by the way, um, to, to uh, not quote, but somebody else, the uh, Catherine that from the Muse, I heard her speak and she said, trust is my most important thing because when I make a mistake or when I make a business decision that everybody wasn't in favor of, they'll, you know, forgive it basically. You know, they get on board and they will roll with your mistakes. And I think um, there's so many examples, so many examples. Um, yeah. Jeff Bezos in a shareholder letter said he tells his, when there's a discussion in the debate and not everybody agrees on the path forward, his motto is, you know, commit, you know, disagree and commit. And I think that's right. Mm. Disagree, trust me, hey, will you come along with me so that everybody commits to executing, but you don't have to agree. But if you're a founder, right. if you've built that trust, they're gonna come along with you. And if it's not the right path, they're still gonna be engaged and involved and they're gonna let you have that and, you know, stick by your side. Yeah, which, uh, you know, is is so, Huge, and so I really appreciate the whole concept of engaging in conversation, inviting input and feedback, you know, really being able to listen and hear what people are saying because they do want to be heard. They want to be acknowledged. They want to feel like they're contributing to the greater good. And, um, and you know what like when i do trainings what i always say at the beginning is um there are no bad ideas there are just ideas we can't implement right now because Excellent. right that just lets everybody know bring them but understand we might not necessarily be able to implement so that's excellent yeah that's a great way to put that yeah yeah Wow. Uh, so, Kate, I so appreciate you spending this time with us and, and sharing this information. Will you let the listeners know how they can find you and sure. what you got going on? So, uh, if you check out my website, you can get five strategies for scaling. You can also get a piece on helping you with leadership in this work from home environment. So, that's www.k, the number eight carney c-a-r-n-e-y dot com or you can find me on instagram k the number eight dot carney c-a-r-n-e-y awesome that's so thank great thank you. you yeah thank you this is fun good I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it and i know the listeners enjoyed it and got an awful lot out of it so good yeah yeah it is all good listeners thank you for tuning in and uh, big thanks to audible.com for providing the free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com slash business growth and go ahead and sign up and explore. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Pip, 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 powder donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous walrus, the bulbous walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. 
Donuts. The Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man. That's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry. I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus. The Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool. Only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. 